Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. So, Robert, tell the people... What's a pretendian? It's just what it sounds like, Angel. A pretend Indian. Someone who fakes being one of us? Someone who impersonates a native. We're talking about real scammers and con artists. There are pretendians teaching at universities, pretendians running governments, pretendians in Hollywood. On our new podcast, Pretendians, we'll tell you the incredible story of these jaw-dropping frauds. Who are they? Why do they do it? And how the heck do they keep getting away with it? Listen to Pretendians on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Welcome back to the podcast, Lee Pycroft. How the devil are you? Oh, my, it's been a long time, Emma. I, you know, I was thinking the other day that I think I was one of the first people to ever go on your podcast. Very early doors. All those years ago. Yeah, I remember. Because you've always been such a lovely supporter and always such a lovely human. Even when, now listeners who remember Lee will know that she's a psychotherapist, but that we go back, way back, (laughs) way back to when you were (laughs) one of the world, well, you were traveling the world with all sorts of supermodels and actors and actresses as a makeup artist. Yeah. But um, you are now this incredible psychotherapist. You are one of the most measured and grounded people. It's so nice actually to talk to you because already I feel like you, I've, <laughs> this week I've been that hot air balloon just kind of freewheeling and you've just grabbed the rope and you're like, come on, Emma, back down to earth. Be less angry with people. Land. Yeah, yeah. God, no, it's, uh, it's not surprising though. We can all, we've been in such a, a strange time over this last while, haven't we? And we're just mm. coming out of it. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how things land, you know? Well, after all that sort of prolonged uncertainty, we've all had to accommodate. And, uh, you know, prolonged uncertainty can be quite tough to tolerate, mm. you know? So, uh, yeah. But then there's that sort of weird thing, we're not even starting on your habits yet, but there's that weird thing, isn't there, is that prolonged uncertainty, there is never any certainty. Well, that is the very true point, exactly. But there's this sort of, we, you know, the brain loves to predict, doesn't it? it loves to predict what's going to happen. It's a prediction-making mm-hmm. machine. And uh, I think because this is something we have no pattern for, we have no prior experience of this, you know. Mm-hmm. So even my dad, who lived through the war, he was like, oh, this is, we don't know this enemy. This <laughs> 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 is worse. <laughs> um, bless him. And uh, so I think it's that as well. It's an unknown. And, you know, if you watch too much news or you, you know, if you're, if you're not careful of where you focus your attention, mm. you can find you're caught up in the whole you know, spiral of uh, dramatic language and um, a fearful state, really. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really where the prolonged uncertainty and there's no prior pattern for it. And no one's sort of saying, well, what should we do? 
because <laughs> everyone's making it up <laughs> you but, know? I, but I think as well it's given a lot of people me included this sort of idea of yes there might not have been any certainty before but you were kind of in this weird false certainty but mm. there was also an element of being on autopilot like in a way that I think a lot of people have had to reflect on and think, actually, I've got a bit more agency over what I do and how I live and where I live. All of these things have been thrown up over the last 16 I months. Definitely. And then if you think of corporations, you know, people have shown, like my son starts to work from home. He's a, he's a trader, works at a brokerage in the city. And uh, he's only 23, going on 24. And so he spent all his time at home and it showed the whole company, you know, that you can work really efficiently from home. Mm. You know, I certainly know certain clients who don't want to go back to the commute mm. and being around so many people. And so I think it's definitely a time where people have had to reflect or have been had the opportunity to. And I also know it's been incredibly tough for some people. Mm. I mean, I, I think I was fortunate because although, you know, I've dipped in and out of the makeup world, I, because of the training and becoming a psychotherapist some years ago, I was able to move everything online and people needed help. So that was my sort of um, silver lining, if you like, was I know a lot of people in the industry, we know so much about the beauty industry, were really stuck, yeah. you know? Um, but, you know, it, it allowed for a lot of creativity. So that's the thing with prolonged uncertainty. Is it uncertainty or is it a space to create something? Mm. You know, what can we imagine? What can we create that would we could we'd use in that arena? You know, how do we want to show up? So I think it's... Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I was off in Cornwall recently, actually, and I was writing a piece for a magazine. And I was looking up as I was writing and I was thinking, God, actually, this is fantastic. I'd love to do more of this. Do you know what I mean? So it's that thing of working online and being in an environment that you find really works for you, mm. you know, dependent upon who you are as a person, what you really want. Yeah, it's been a great 18 months for introverts, I think. Oh, I mean, there was that joke going around, wasn't there? Introverts, watch your extrovert friends. They don't know how this works. Yeah. <laughs> Look out for your extrovert friends. They have no idea how this works. They're sitting indoors <laughs> and so, being quite comfortable. Yeah. So one of the things that was quite interesting about Feel Good Habits, I started it around the time of the UK lockdown. So that was around end of March, beginning of April last year. So beginning of April 2020. And right at the very beginning, the Feel Good Habits bearing in mind we were a week or two weeks into lockdown were um, uh, quite, I mean, they were all brilliant, don't get me wrong, but I would say that they were lighter. And as the year has gone on, the feel good <laughs> habits have definitely become a little bit more substantial in terms of they're not just addressing a sort of uh, a, a bit of a bad mood. They're addressing how do I have structure? How do I, yeah. they're much deeper habits and I think this is why I was so keen to speak to you but also actually have been at the back of my mind saving you for <laughs> <laughs> saving you for this sort of time and not wanting to use you too early because I felt that your feel-good habits would be uh, th that deeper would mm. hit that deeper level that would have a bit more and listeners just so you know Lee said to me on WhatsApp the other day if I get too cerebral, rein me in. So I knew I was in for a good episode. <laughs> oh, my God, I can be a bit of an associative thinker. And so I can sort of have all these things flying in from different directions. And um, something I've learned to do recently is to you know, use my body more and more to calm my mind down because mind can sort of flutter around. And, you know, I'm very curious about lots of different things. So I'm always reading a book where I listen to this and listen to that. 
So, um, yeah, I, I have to sort of focus sometimes <laughs> people in. So I thought, well, I'll just mention that to Emma. <laughs> um, OK, so where are we beginning? What is at the top of your list? At the top of my list is what I do in the morning. And the reason this is important to me is because obviously when we're sleeping better, life seems better. We're able to take on more challenges. We're able to emotionally regulate with more ease. And so in the mornings, one of the first things I do is I have my cup of dark Earl Grey tea and I go out for a walk. But the reason I go out for a walk or sit in my garden is to get light in my eyes. Mm. And of course, the light in my eyes is hugely important in setting my circadian rhythm. So that's the 24 hour clock our body runs to. And so this, of course, then sets all the other clocks in my body, which then help me sleep better at night. And there's so much research by Stanford University on this about how this impacts your mood. It will impact the, how alert you are during the day and about then how you wind down and sleep at night. Now, ideally, you know, I'd be off looking at sunset as well. But I haven't quite figured that habit out yet <laughs> because it's the spectrum of light. You know, it's yeah. the range of, of, of light that you see in the morning. And, you know, often, you know, you might sort of sit by a window or something, but you're not going to get the same amount of photons mm. through the window as you will if you go out. And, it, and it's something so simple. It's like, depending on the amount of light out there, but if you've approximately 10 minutes and you do that. And for me, that's been hugely beneficial um, in helping me regulate my sleep patterns. And also there's just something about being out in nature first thing in the morning. And I swear, you know, I think just before we came on here, I was saying that, I have traits of sort of being a bit of a highly sensitive person. So I can become quite stimulated by noises and sounds and, and uh, busyness, if you like. Mm. I swear in another life, I was a forest imp or something. So being out in nature before anyone else gets up, I find deeply grounding as well. So it's the combination of really the movement, walking, um, getting the light in my eyes. that so I find sets me up for the day. It keeps me awake and... Um, <laughs> And, and helps me sleep better at night. So, I mean, that's one of the first things that I will do. Do you know, it's funny, I was chatting to Davinia Taylor the other day and she was talking about this exact thing yeah. and how if you stand in the window and look at the light in the morning, it's such a reduced uh, strength. Yeah. If that is it Lux? Uh, is yes, that the Lux. measure? Yes. Yeah. Whereas if you just stand outside or even if you just open the door or the window and actually get it, 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 it really does. And I had thought that's such a, I mean, it's not even cheap. It's free. It's a free way of sort of setting yourself up. Totally, totally. And I think also, you know, if something happens in the day, for example, or I find I'm a bit um, agitated by something that's happened, it's also talking about, still talking on the subject of eyes, is being able to use your sight and dialing your vision out to a panoramic view will have a, um, will give you basically a signal to calm your nervous system down. Because if you think that when we are agitated, one of the things that happens in your sympathetic, your alert response, if you like, is that your pupils dilate. And so if you kind of think your, your vision goes into kind of portrait mode, we're tunneling down, we're narrowing down our focus. And so actually a really lovely thing to do is if you're feeling agitated, you look at a distant horizon and you dial your vision out and this sends a cue back to calm down, to calm your nervous system down. And it's, and also, you know, especially when we're all on Zoom and so forth, this sort of narrowed state of attention. 
even if you're sitting at your desk and you just dial your vision out for a few minutes, mm. it will send a calming signal. So that's another really lovely thing to do. Um, that's again, super, super easy. Because what I've really sort of started to do more about is to keep things really simple. Mm. You know, I think we live in such a culture of do more, buy more, be more, achieve more. And that can be really punishing. Mm. And, and, and I think that, you know, before I trained as a psychotherapist, I did um, coaching and I watched a lot in the self-development world. And whilst I think there's a lot of merit and, and there's lots of good stuff, I think that the whole message of you've just got to crush it, you've just got to nail it, you've just got to break through. And that really works for some people if you're a sort of type A personality. Yeah. But for people that are not, or maybe they're what you know, you'd call their body budget is in deficit, they're not eating, they're not sleeping, they, they are going through a really low phase, maybe they're a bit depressed, maybe their environment is awful. It can be really punishing for them to sort of then think well if you don't nail it crush it break through that there's something wrong with you mm. and that I don't think is helpful in general and so you know I'm much more into the messaging of you have to start where you are and make it gentle and small and easy on yourself because I think we consume we can consume so much information we're overloaded with information um, and I think that keeping it small and simple and gentle on yourself is the key you know Agreed, yeah. um, and I think that's a really important thing so um the other thing I do is if I feel agitated it's again using the body to calm the mind and you know we can talk about you know it's great if you can do a meditation practice and mindfulness and this kind of thing and that's all wonderful but for those that want something that is perhaps um works more quickly if you like Another thing from Stanford, which I've practiced a lot as I learned it, is the what's called the physiological sigh. And it's really simple. And it's one of the quickest ways to calm down your uh, nervous system, your alert response, if you like. And it's super simple because you can it's just breathing in twice, like once, another short one, and then a long out breath. And basically what this does is, you know, the little sacs that coat the inside of your lungs, the alveoli or alveoli, I think they're called. Not these personally, collapse, but... <laughs> these collapse over time because oxygen levels um, start to go down and carbon dioxide levels go up, which signals mm -hmm. the stress response. And this short inhalation after a long one inflates them and you offload more of the carbon dioxide. And like three of those allows you to feel more calm. So if I'm, again, this is about kind of coming out of my head and if I notice a sensation in my body or I feel my, say, for me, if I feel anxious or I'm feeling agitated, I feel it in my stomach a lot. Yeah. I feel it in my chest. Yeah. And so my response is I'll want to curl inwards, you know, and having, you know, historically been more of a sort of anxious type of, of person, you know, I've sort of had to learn how to deal with anxious, anxious, uh, emotional states. And uh, in the past, when I suffered from, you know, horrible depression, I've had to learn, well, how do you, why did that happen? How do you navigate your way out of that, right? And, and, and learning that helps you build sort of a way of buffering against that thing happening again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I feel sort of anxiety coming up, doing something like this breathing is a very quick way of just using my body to, again, calm my mind. And, um, you know, if you think that uh, it, it works with the heart rate variability, so it will slow your heart rate down as you breathe out, um, so I think that is, those are three, you know, three things I do, which are very simple 
and super easy to use that you can tap into at any time. Um, the other thing I've been playing with, which for me is playful and fun, because I think when we go through this period where, you know, it's been difficult for a lot of people and they haven't been able to go to gyms and exercise and so forth. Um, I've always been into exercise, but uh, animal moves. Have you done, done those, Emma? Oh, Christ. No, I'm right. The reason I'm having this response is because I once wrote a feature for women's health called Animal Flow, and it, is, it haunts me to this day. Beast reach, crab grab, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the thing is, <clears throat> for me, they're quite childlike. Mm. And actually, they're quite, they're full body movement. And for me, it's, it's that kind of, I find it very grounding because I'm literally on the ground, mm. uh, moving around, crawling, um, getting myself into different positions. And it also helps me focus outwards because, of course, you know, if any of us are agitated, or we're feeling the stress response, we're reacting to those stressors, those things that upset us, and we're, we're the alert response, the sympathetic response is kicked off in our body. We need to engage the opposite of that mechanism, which is the calming response, right? And for me, you know, if I'm in my head because I'm ruminating over something or I'm catastrophizing because I'm in that alert response, doing something physical with my body and something like animal moves makes me laugh because I'm trying to do this thing and figure out the move and I'm having to use my brain the different way. Right. And it's a whole body motion. Mm. And for me, it's childlike, it's fun. It helps me focus outwards and also it's functional, you know, so mm. it focuses my mind. Um, so for that, there's another thing that I've been doing that I found um, just hilarious. I do it with my, with my boyfriend and the two of us. <laughs> it's like, do you remember that game Twister? Yeah. <laughs> remember that we end up something like that. It's hysterical you know, me facing his backside or something like that. <laughs> Sounds like another show. Lee. Yeah, it does. Yeah, exactly. That's another story. <laughs> so this isn't all morning stuff. This is, this. these are oh. just, right. Yeah, yeah. So the, the morning stuff is, is really the, um, the, the sun lighting mm. my eyes and the movement. And these are just other things that I will do throughout the day and at points in my day. And, you know, throughout the week. It's not like I'm saying I do this every single day at all. These are just habits that I do, you know, through each day as and when. Um, the other thing that's really helped me is bouts of learning. Because for me, yes. this gives me, meets the emotional need for accomplishment mm -hmm. and it meets the emotional need for meaning and purpose, which I think above all this, we've spoken about emotional needs before, you know, deep psychological needs we all have as humans and which is, part of the issue over lockdown mm. is we weren't able to meet them in the ways we would have ordinarily right so yeah. the connection and community and things like that what was sort of we had an issue with meeting those needs often but mean accomplishment and learning is something that I learned actually when I was a single parent and uh, my daughter was very poorly at the time I'm going back some years now and I was quite lonely and a lot of my community they were either had partners or they were um off doing things and were able to be more spontaneous than I was. And so I used to think, well, what can I do with my time? And learning became this really fantastic way of focusing my attention and feeling like that I had more meaning because I was learning things that were meaningful to me, you know? Um, and again, coming from the industry we have where, you know, working as a makeup artist is a huge focus on kind of appearance, how things look rather than necessarily how things actually are. Mm. For me, as I've got older and sort of go and move through time, 
it's more important to me to be able to add value through what I'm saying and the experiences that I'm hopefully with my clients can help them achieve and create. Um, and that is, has become meaningful to me. So podcasts, um, reading, writing, um, and it's just a really lovely habit, I think. Um, and there's so much stuff out there that you can get nowadays. I mean, you've had some amazing guests. So I was listening to your one, who's that uh, uh, brain surgeon that he wrote, was it Knife on the Oh, Egg? yeah, uh, Dr. Rahul Jandial. Fascinating. I, I mean, know. just fascinating. And you could listen to his voice. He should be doing meditative sort of scripts. <laughs> I know. And I, I found the book, as I said to him in the show, I took my life in my hands and I said, I, I didn't, I put it down because what he, his daily job, the, the stuff that he has to contend with is stuff that I instinctively want to look away from. Yeah. But actually reading his book, and I read it start to finish, took this, made, you know, sort of made it less frightening. But also yeah. you realise just... I'd always thought surgeons were quite arrogant. That's the, yeah. that's the kind of stereotype, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah but yeah. actually, I found him to be <laughs> this weird description, but extremely human and really molded by everything that's happened. Yeah, he came across with a real humility. Mm. I, thought, I mean, he was talking about grief and so forth, and, and you know, it was. It was I thought it was, it was almost poetic the way he expressed himself, yeah. Yeah. and fascinating to listen to. And you just think, wow, what a life! I mean, incredible. Um, another person, you his book. I, mean, I would love to read his book, yeah. Um, there's quite a few interesting books that have come out actually over um, lockdown. There's another one I was reading by someone who was a doctor who was the head of um, the ICU units in a London hospital. Wow. And um, his experience of, of COVID as the first influx came in. Wow. I watched, a, watched a, uh, a, a live interview with him as well. Absolutely fascinating and deeply humbling. Um, mm. the way he expressed himself as well. Another one I love to listen to is Garba Mate. Do you yes. know his stuff? Did you watch The Wisdom of Trauma? No, but I've got The Body Says No on the bookshelf behind me. Yeah, he, there's a new documentary that's come out called The Wisdom of Trauma, which is absolutely fascinating as well. Um, and um, it's just a beautiful, he's a very humble man as well. Um, so great one to, uh, great one to listen to, very into self-compassion which um, leads me on to actually another habit that I've been doing. <laughs> How many are we on now? I could go on. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I've lost count. I'm just transfixed. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, right? Um, do, do, do you ever study the work of BJ Fogg? These are habits. habits are yeah. Tiny habits, he wrote. And I love BJ Fogg because, again, a really humble human being. But he talks about something called trash talk. And how we can speak to ourselves very critically. And this can happen. I notice it with clients when people get agitated. They can really speak to themselves in a harsh way. And um, my sort of, the way I deal with this is something I do, which I call tender talk. And it's really about how we can be self-compassionate with ourselves, you know. And I remember actually Garba Marte was, was in an interview talking to someone who was being very critical with themselves. And he said, you know, if you were telling me you spoke to your child like that, I would have to call the social services. <laughs> it really resonated with me. And that's because I thought, how many times, you know, have we all spoken to ourselves in a really critical way? And it really stuck with me that. And so tender talk for me is really about that being able to sort of parent myself. The so times in the past where I used to be very critical of myself. It's about developing that self-compassion. So in those moments of heightened anxiety and where you're agitated, 
being able to, you know, do something like the physiological sigh, which I learned from a wonderful professor at Stanford, and um, being able to ask yourself, you know, what do you need right now? You know, I'm here, I'm here for you. And just talk yourself down like you mm. would, you know, we, t- we hear about it, talking to a best friend, but really putting it into practice. And it's something that I've been able to cultivate and it really does lower the emotional arousal quite, you know, um, extensively, I find. And just develops a really kinder, um, more sort of human relationship with ourselves, you know. Mm. Um, I think, so that's something that I've also been practicing. Um, I think actually just to, that ties in really neatly with something that you said earlier about this kind of Taipei personality of like thrash it, girl yeah. boss, go get it, hustle. Oh. And, <laughs> and actually that can create a, a really negative narrative in one's own head of, constantly thinking that you've got to be performing at a really high level and actually sometimes just wiping down your kitchen counters and making a cup of tea is enough (laughs) that is so true emma it's so true because the thing is in our culture i think we really celebrate those kind of big achievements those big wins you know and um if you're not winning and you're not doing those big wins you're not that type a personality you know you're fed so much of that messaging people can end up sort of feeling there's something wrong with them, you know, and actually, you know, what, you know, one thing I sort of, with the clients I've worked with, it's not, you know, what's, what's wrong with you, it's what's happened to you, what's happening to you, mm-hmm. at least you feel the way you do, what's wrong with the environment, what's, what's, what's blocking you, what, is there a missing coping skill, is there something being misused out of your natural resources? Um, so I think, you know, again, back to that gentle approach we were talking about in the beginning, I think, especially now, um, is, is a much more human and kind way of moving forwards in the world. Because mm. we, we never get to this big place we're going to think we're going to get to anyway, do we? It's great to have achievements and stuff, but that, yeah. you know, we've got to sort of really define what that is for us, you know? Um, and the other thing, the last thing that I've been playing around with a lot is something that I learned from another neuroscientist called Lisa Feldman Barrett, who talks about emotional granularity and she talks about, you know, how the brain loves to predict. And one of the best things you can do is to sort of beef up your emotional health with really sort of digging down into what you mean when you express something. So it's the finer details of what you might feel. So I kind of call it wordplay. Um, and just kind of like, you know, as a makeup artist, I used to sort of have fine distinctions in colours, if you like. But it's practicing the skill of more categorising how I feel so I can better react to something. Mm. Um, so rather than making broad brush strokes, you know, I feel, you know, rubbish, you know, everything's terrible and using quite dramatic language. I might sort of stop to narrow it down and sort of say, what is it that I'm feeling? You know, is it just I'm a bit aggravated? Is it I'm feeling a bit grumpy? And this helps me then decide, well, how can I react more appropriately to that situation? Mm-hmm. So it's again really that thing of stopping, because when we're agitated, we can often get into this sort of broad brush strokes, this catastrophic way of thinking, because we're agitated, and there's a there's a purpose for that, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't always it's not always helpful. That's the thing, because a lot of the sort of things we struggle with now are psychological stressors. Um, we're not really you know, confronting a threat often, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a perceived threat. Um, so for me, it's been a fun way actually of sort of expanding my own vocabulary of how I really feel about something. And then also being able to articulate myself more clearly with the person who maybe I feel agitated about. And is it then, mm. you know, or is it just me? Is it a layering effect of all these 
different things have happened. Or am I, is it reminding me of something I've experienced in the past? Um, so yeah, and that's, uh, that's another of my ones. Where are we on time? Have I, no, have you're, I, you're, you're I on too long? I was going, I was actually going to re- respond to what you were just saying about, um, uh, look, I've never, I'm not saying for a second that I've been perfect at this and I'm still not, but one of the things that I try to do is obviously is in my responses, because obviously we're communicating at all times, Yes. is I've definitely noticed uh, that there's a, a, it's very easy for people to be passive aggressive. It seems to be, and I've said this before on the show, I think there's this culture of not wanting to say sorry and mm. not wanting to accept blame. So you sort of talk around those things. And so I've had a couple of conversations this week and listeners, I was having a moan to leave before we started recording about it. But I was trying to figure out, well, why has this bothered me? And it's because I personally don't like talking around the houses. I don't like fuss. Mm -hmm. And I apologized to somebody this week because I overreacted and I just replied and I said, I'm sorry, I overreacted. That was a complete, it was a dick move on my part. I apologize. And do you know, it was, I felt so much better. And I know that yeah. a few years ago, 10 years ago, I would have tried to apologize whilst justifying my reaction as opposed yeah. to just owning it and saying, I was a dick, I'm sorry, I overreacted. Yeah, but isn't that great? It's that thing of keeping our side of the street clean. Mm. And, you know, I think when we're accountable for our part, you know, other people might not be still, yeah. but it does also set the arena for opening the gateway to that conversation, you know, mm. and life doesn't always bend to our will, right? People aren't always going to, you know, behave in ways we might hope or expect. And that's the way life is, right? Mm. But when we have our own set of values and we can apologize when we need to apologize. And uh, I think that can be really helpful in, in, you know, cultivating what's meaningful to us and important to us, you know? I think I, I don't know about you, but there was almost like there's this game of communication and there's a, there's a, there's a way of doing it. It's gamifying how we talk in order to sort of somehow always come out on top or to win or do you, does that make sense? And I think that I, I think working in an industry, as I'm sure, not just the beauty industry, I'm sure it's uh, present everywhere, is you feel like there's almost this way of communicating where you're kind of on top, but actually it gamifies it and it takes out being a human being who will say sorry from time to time. Yeah, and I think that's linked to sort of the emotional need for status, mm. for being a dog, you know, and, and, you know, people can be competitive and they want, and also it's, it's their, it can be the perception we have of ourselves, you know, not wanting to appear wrong, mm-hmm. you know, not wanting to be, appear the one that, that made the mistake, um, you know, and it takes a certain amount of accountability and awareness to say, actually, hang on a minute, that, how was that, how did that come across? And yeah, maybe that came across like that. And that was not my intention, you know, and I'm sorry if I made a mistake there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, uh, as you say, it's all about communication, isn't it? So finding ways that we can communicate in more human and kind ways that is more honourable. And as a curious and, and honest inquiry, um, I think is, is, you know, potentially much more helpful in moving us all forwards, you know. Mm. Uh, as I often sort of prattle on on my social media, you know, community, not competition. Um, because I think, you know, if we can all just help each other out a bit more, then in the world will sort of move towards a, a sort of more kind place, if you like. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh that's my that's my sort of um, five six. I don't know how many I said there. <laughs> I don't know how many, but they were all flipping usefully. Well, I hope so. I hope they're just easy and uh, you know easy to implement. Mm. You can play around with them, and um, hopefully they'll all sort of help people be able to tap into 
the sort of bodily mechanisms, if you like, that will help us feel more calm and feel more alert when we need to kind of thing, you know? I think um, when I speak to you, sometimes I think about when I've gone through things and I think it meant that I had to opt out of, and I'm going to try just sort of just use an umbrella term of like proper life or, or mainstream life, if you like. Like when I was having anxiety, when I was de was depressed, mm -hmm. it was as though I had to opt out of normal. That's probably the, the sort of broadest way, I, but perhaps almost quite unhelpful way of saying it. And I think I thought that all of the steps I was taking to help myself with the depression and the anxiety were so that I could get back to that, what mm -hmm. I perceived as normal. And whenever I speak to you, I'm always reminded that it's not about joining that team or joining that club or getting in that slipstream. It's about creating your own. You get yeah. to set the pace. And I yeah. think that's what I always find so helpful about chatting to you. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, yeah, if we can find our own flow and our own pace, then um, we're cultivating the environment that works for us, mm. you know. And it can be tough sometimes because you can get caught up in what the masses are doing, what the collective sort of, you know, community are doing, if you like. Mm. Um, and, and get dragged along well that's the difference isn't it rather than knowing the path you're walking and just getting swept up in it I think that's where we can bring more focus and awareness or you know um and understand the direction we want to go in then yeah. we'll start sort of walking it with more ease if you like yeah you know yeah yeah so helpful listeners obviously the links to lee and everything we've discussed i've been taking rabid notes during our conversation of all the people you've mentioned but all of that will be in the show notes but lee thanks for coming back thank you for having me it's always an absolute delight to be on here and i think your podcast is fantastic and, and i hope you're uh, and as you are and it's always a joy to look to talk to you and, uh, yeah i hope everyone gets something out of that thank you take care ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, Wisdom from the Top, I talk with CEOs and business leaders about the toughest challenges of their careers. There's lots of ways to measure success. Sometimes a company has to bet against itself. We wanted to set ourselves apart by having a point of view. Businesses really impact people's lives in pretty fundamental ways. On Wisdom from the Top, some of the greatest business leaders of our time share their intimate stories of leadership, innovation, and transformation. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Check out Wisdom from the Top only on Luminary. Now, back to your show. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.